Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. On today's episode, we welcome Ben Elwood back to continue our deep dive on the work of Sophia Coppola. Today, we're talking about the movie Lost in Translation and Rove returns to discuss the craziest theory we've had yet for WandaVision. My name is Justin Hamilton, and the name of this podcast is Big Squid. I'm dropping this episode a little earlier this week because on Tuesday the 23rd, if you're listening to this on the Monday, that will be tomorrow. Yes, that's how days of the week work. I will be flying to Adelaide to perform at the Rhino Room with my show Fringe Mode. I didn't think I'd be able to make it this year and with the way COVID can shut down a state at any given moment at to be honest, it felt like doing the festivals was a little bit of a roll of the dice. But then on Thursday morning, things came together. I got asked if I could go to Adelaide to perform at Flinders University during the day. And then I spoke to Craig Egan at the Rhino Room. And it turned out because of COVID, etc., etc., there were some cancellations and there was a free spot. And it was like, well, let's do this. Let's do a pop-up show at the Adelaide Fringe. It wasn't in the guide. It wasn't going to happen. I'm going to appear, we're going to do it, and then I'm going to be gone. In three weeks' time, if you come along, you'll be thinking, did that happen? Yes, you were there. And it's also turned out that it's been 25 years since my first Fringe show. 1996, when I was in the Bunta Boys, we did a show called Happy as All Buggery. (laughs) Oh, man, that is insane, to be honest, to think about. All of that and everything that's happened in between. Anyway, I'm wrapped. I can celebrate it by flying home to Adelaide, as you know, my hometown, uh, to perform at my favourite festival in the world. So the details are the show is on at 7.30pm 
and you can buy tickets through adelaidecomedy.com or on the door. Uh, tickets are selling fast though, so maybe if you're keen, I would get right on top of it and buy online. Hopefully, I can see you there. Uh, and also, people have asked if that means I'll be heading down to the Melbourne Comedy Festival, and the answer to that is, I don't know. I really don't. Probably not, but if an opportunity arises, maybe something like this, we'll we'll sort something out. But once again, if it does happen, it'll probably be a last-minute notice like this show. Uh, we do have a plan for a new live Big Squid in April during the Sydney Comedy Festival, though. More details about that coming soon. Okay. Let's get into this podcast and it's time to drop into the Marvel Universe so we can have a look at Episode 7 of WandaVision. This is our home. This, all of this is for us. So let me handle it. I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah, I'm not sure what that's about. It's probably just a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Am I right? I've had such a good time with WandaVision, and this episode was no exception. What I enjoy about this is that I have friends who are watching it that have no idea about the comic book world that Wanda and Vision have been a part of since the 60s, and they're loving it. I also have friends who only have a passing interest in the MCU who are totally into it too. You know, those people that go to the movies, they're happy to watch it and then don't think about it after they've left. They enjoyed it in the moment. Then somehow this series also pays off us old school nerds in really fun and surprising ways. Like for me, seeing Monica Rambeau not only get some sweet screen time as a character, but also that flash of blue in the eyes. Ah, oh, this suggests that she's about to get some serious energy powers, and that's a really fun payoff. As I've said in previous podcasts, Monica was a member of the Avengers when I first started collecting it as a kid. So I've really enjoyed uh, Tayona's performance, and I've also just loved watching Monica. Uh, in action and I think she's a great character so this is all just ah so much fun now we'd already thought that Agnes was Agatha Harkness Agnes Agatha Harkness there we go we weren't alone with that lots of people wondered that online but to discover that maybe she's the big bad well it's interesting isn't it because for starters it's like there she is right in front of us the whole time and that's a really smart move And this is also a TV series that invites the people watching it to speculate, so why not hide the villain right there? Like, you're literally looking at her in every episode. But then there's two more episodes to go, and I don't know. Like, it still feels like there's something up their sleeve. Like, this feels like mild misdirection. So maybe there's another villain that... Agatha is working with or maybe there's someone taking advantage of her it's a little bit different to the Agatha in the comics there she's a little bit more of the Scarlet Witch's you know ally I guess but anyway two more episodes to go we know uh, that this is going to dive into the Doctor Strange movie and so 
Do you remember in the first film there was one book missing from the Ancient One's private collection? If you look it up online, you can see there's a little gap there. And then in this episode, we saw that demonic-looking book, and that could be the book missing from the collection. It looks like it could be The Darkhold, which I know has turned up in some other Marvel TV shows, but I don't know if those are in continuity. So it's hard to kind of get your head around it, but The Darkhold... It's a dark magic book written by demonic gods. And, you know, I I know we keep talking about, oh, is it going to be Mephisto? Is it going to be uh, possibly Nightmare? But I wonder if it's also going to be, and I I honestly don't know how to pronounce this villain's name. You know when you know you've been reading something for a long time and then you've never had to say it out loud. But there's a dark demonic god in the Marvel Universe called Chithan. I think that's how you would pronounce that name. So... Maybe there's uh, something going on there. And then also there's the Nexus advert, which suggests the swamp in Marvel Comics that Man-Thing guards. Funny name. Always sounds a little bit sexual, doesn't it? Man-Thing. But also Nexus can be a reference to the beings who exist in every universe and can affect probabilities and therefore alter the future. Anyway, so much to talk about, so much to discuss, so much to think about, and I love it all. I love all of that. And then I just like attention to detail like Darcy in the hex is someone who can escape chains. And you're thinking, why is she able to do that? And it's like, oh, she was handcuffed on the outside before she was absorbed. So that is the natural progression for her character to go in that world. She becomes that kind of performer at the circus. Cute. Just cute. It's big stuff and it's small stuff and they all kind of balance each other out. Anyway, I really enjoyed this episode and I know our guest also really enjoyed it and you've been listening to him for the last few weeks. So let's bring Rove in as he has some interesting thoughts. And also, just to give you a heads up, I have a doozy of a theory for him, one that required a lot of overthinking and maybe I spent way too long on. (laughs) Anyway, I, I really enjoyed coming up with this and it was Hard not to text him immediately, so I, I saved it for the podcast. So much fun. All right. Here's Rove. He's back. He is full of wonder, and he is full of vision, and it's uh, it's it's really getting exciting. I'm almost a little bit disappointed that there's only two episodes to go. And I'm very disappointed that this seems like it's the end of our TV parodies. I think at the final two eps, we just strip that veneer away um, or can sort of stay in that modern uh, modern family world, um, but we don't have to follow the sitcom tropes anymore because that sort of seemed to go out the window because I really thoroughly enjoyed that week to week. And, look, quick aside, no matter what other stuff we get wrong, we predicted the Modern Family Office parodies this week. So, so we're right. We've been 100% correct the whole time. Or where would it have gone if it was going to keep going? Would it have been Fleabag? Would we have gotten an episode oh. where Wanda admitted that she was masturbating while watching Barack Obama? <laughs> <laughs> With a, a very hot priest. So it appears that the big reveal is that Agatha Harkness is, you know, behind everything this season. So do you think the villain has been hiding in plain sight or is there another twist to come? Because there are two episodes to go. Yeah, look, it's now just about what what is left to reveal. And 
yeah, it, there's part of me now looking at uh, it was you know, Agnes all along and maybe that's all we get for this. Maybe now it's about uh, wrapping that up, uh, you know, let's get some resolution on what is Vision still alive? Is he not alive? Has he been brought back? What is up with his memory? Fixing the hex. And there's enough there with with wrapping up storylines with some of those characters that maybe Agnes has been pulling the strings within Westview and maybe there still is a, a Mephisto reveal to come, but maybe that's being held off for, you know, Doctor Strange or one of the other upcoming movies. That wouldn't surprise me and wouldn't disappoint me. Well, it's interesting because... You know, when we went down into Agatha's little dungeon or whatever is going on down there, the, you know, the boffins online have managed to uh, freeze frame some screens and there's some little demonic imagery in the uh, carved into the walls. Uh, also, Mephisto's first appearance in the comic book world and Marvel Universe uh, was as a fly. And there was a very particular scene with a fly on the oh i think i thought it was a, i thought it was a cicada 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 is what i saw it as look i don't want to get all um entomology about this but yeah as a bug guy that's a big fat cicada um i i'm now starting to go uh look i'm gonna go deep early that two things one uh you're asking me the other week about tigers and i didn't know about tiger imagery and stuff like that but uh we've got we've got our rabbit who is getting a lot more prominence than, than we would have thought previously. There's a lot of just another close-up of him this week. His name is Senor Scratchy, which is Mr. Scratch. And that is uh, one, of the, one of the names that Mephisto has gone by in the past. So too has Agatha's son, his name is Nicholas Scratch. And uh, Nicholas has a lot of connections with the Fantastic Four and we know all that's coming too. So maybe there's uh, a world where Pietro is Nicholas Scratch in disguise and the two of them have been working together. The other thing is Ralph. We still don't, we still don't know Ralph. I have a big question mark over uh, Agnes's husband in quotes, Ralph. And again, not having done my tiger homework, looking up the history of the name Ralph, it uh, comes from a lot of different lines of things, but it means wolf and also is matched with the name Rudolph, Red Wolf, which is Red Wolf. Could the Red Wolf be the devil? I'm just saying we still may find that her, her husband that we haven't seen is Mephisto after all. But that doesn't necessarily mean we see him in this series. It's very exciting. It is very exciting. I've got something uh, really ridiculously nerdy to build off that for a sec. But the, in the uh, scenes for Loki's TV show that's coming up, uh, in the background of uh, of one of the scenes, there is like a uh, a religious kind of imagery, and it very much looks like oh, the stained glass window kind of thing. Yes. So that's kind of fascinating. And then uh, with the advert for next. Uh, in this one about overcoming depression there's uh, in the Marvel Universe there's Nexus beings and it's kind of suggested that uh, Wanda is one of those uh, Nexus is also uh, there's the the Nexus that binds all the realities in the Marvel comics that's where Man-Thing exists and all of that so 
that's all uh, feels like it's coming together. But I am actually bringing back a segment from the first season of Big Squid, which is the <laughs> I spend too much time alone theory. I think you'll enjoy this a lot. This was, as I said to you before we started recording, it was really hard not to call you and ruin it by not by saying it too early. But okay, I'm going to get comfy. Here we go. So Paul Bettany keeps talking about an actor turning up he's always wanted to work with. Yes, and a massive spoiler that he's surprised hasn't got out. Right. So I did a bit of research, and so I looked uh, up Paul Bettany's age, and he's uh, 48. So that suggests to me it's probably, if it's someone you've always wanted to work with, it's probably someone of the previous generation. Yeah. And so, and I figured he'd probably be British because, or she would be British because of uh, Bettany. So I looked at British actors who are the next generation age-wise, and I came up with Hugh Grant and Colin Firth are both 60. Sure. So I thought, okay, maybe it could be one of them. And Emma Thompson is 61, and Kenneth Branagh is 60. But this is the one that made me laugh and thought, could could they be going this far? Ray Fiennes is 58, and Agatha oh. keeps talking about Ralph. Does Fiennes turn up as Mephisto to be oh. the big bad guy, Doctor Strange? Oh, my God. Or do I need to go and hang out with some real people? <laughs> well, this was my other – this honestly was my other thought is we've all been talking about, you know, the, the character of Mephisto, but the one thing that we haven't really thought about is, well, who would play it? Because it's a very big role. And one thing that Marvel do well is they put the right actors in the right roles. Um, and that, they don't just hand them out to anybody. So that would be the question. It's not just, okay, if we all assume it's Mephisto, then who who gets that mantle? Ray Fiennes, everyone's favourite evil wizard anyway, Mr. Voldemort, why wouldn't you? And he's so good as well, you could imagine it, because he's also, he's underrated as a funny actor. Like, you know, the movie In Bruges, he's yes. horrifying and hilarious all at the same time. And I think if you are, you know, the Marvel movies are ostensibly family entertainment. So if you're going to bring in the devil, you're going to have to take a bit of the edge off it and make him a little bit funny, aren't you? I, I reckon you're right. I think I, that makes absolute sense to me. Um, yes, absolutely yes. So I love, I love how you've worked that out too. It's, <laughs> it, it would make perfect sense. Uh, and, and you look at Paul Bettany and go, yeah, absolutely, that would be someone who you look at Paul Bettany's style and it's very much in keeping with, with Ray's. And, yeah, to go it's the name Ralph all along is hilarious. In, in its in how obvious it is, but also how clever it is. It's also been such a, a meta show anyway, so to have that kind of meta joke feels in keeping with what they're doing. It doesn't feel like it's coming out of left field, does it? Now, if you're while you're in your deep dive uh, tinfoil hat mode, I've only just had the thought of like w- what's left to come. So we've seen Spectrum now. We kind of knew that was happening, but but how much of that we're going to see this series who knows so that's that's been put out there uh uh agatha's out there now um there probably is a few other reveals to come i'm sure we will get some major closing scene hello here i am part of me is like do we see victor von doom maybe maybe he's 
the guy on the outside. Maybe it's not Reed Richards um, that Monica is go- is going to. Maybe it's it's Doctor Doom. That would be interesting. Um, but the other thing I've, I keep coming back to is that uh, who was Wu's man on the in- his, his witness protection guy? The whole reason Monica got sent to Westview in the first place was we have a witness. I got an inside guy who's under witness protection and I put him in Westview and now I can't get in. We've lost contact. So who is that? And is that something that we find out now or or later on? But that one suddenly got me scratching my head again. There's still a few unanswered questions that are exciting, not annoying if we don't get to them because that is, it's not, it's not above Marvel to go, Oh yeah, yeah. That's, that's four movies down the track or that's in, you know, uh, another series that we haven't even announced yet that that all comes back. I love speculating and I love I love either being right or wrong. Like being right is exciting because you thought it through and being wrong is, oh, I was completely off base. But the idea of speculating and also with a show that isn't afraid to just throw stuff in there and it's inviting you. Yeah, and I think it's it's they deserve all the credit in the world for the success of the show because um, it's it's certainly I know that there are people who are watching it who aren't you know deep dive Marvel addicts, and it's just as a piece of television, it's just very creative, and and a lot of people don't know what's really going on, as as no one really does. It's all still a, a big question mark over it. Even the characters within the show and us watching at home is there's still a lot of speculation, but when they do reveal something like the Agatha character. Suddenly you're going, for anyone who maybe was predicting that that was where they were going because they know the comic book folklore, that doesn't mean that when she just says, I'm Agatha Harkness, that everyone who doesn't know the comic books is going to go, oh, that's exciting. So, you know, I'm watching it with my wife, Pasma. A lot of the time she's like, is this a comic book thing? Is this, is this a character we know already? And uh, that's her only question, not, well, this makes no sense, and me having to explain, well, if you know the comic books, you understand and all that sort of stuff. So um, so it's just the way that they are delivering these reveals makes sense within the television show for anyone who's not looking at the internet and doesn't know the comic books. It's still, it still works, and that's not an easy trick to pull off. My friend Charlotte was uh, exactly the same. She got in touch with me and she said, I have never read a Marvel comic in my life and I can't tell you how much I'm loving this series. So that that tells you on a level it's being successful for, you know, big nerds and people who just want something that passes half an hour. Now, here's something I'm thinking too. Do you think that, let's say... It, it does lead to we, we get a Mephisto reveal or explanation or something. Do we think that we lose Billy and Tommy? Because as much as they were created from his energy in the comic books, we haven't really explained that in, in the show, which is not so important. But the idea in my head is that for the way it will play out here, that because originally, as far as I remember in the comic books, Mephisto came back and he absorbed the boys back into him to get the energy back that he needed. Wanda's mind got wiped. Agatha was all part of that story as well. So in the show, has Agatha kidnapped the boys? We see, like, they are 
sacrificed. They're literally killed. We already know she will kill a dog. I'm sure it's the next step for her. So is there something where she summons Mephisto? Maybe she has been part of this all along, setting up this world, trapping Wanda in it, getting the boys. She sacrifices the boys and that's what summons him. And that's uh, because apparently there's something quite traumatic or certainly it it builds to quite a um a crescendo and i and i have a feeling maybe that's where we're headed or a possibility anyway yeah it feels like it could be going somewhere kind of sad or kind of dark is there going to be a thing where at the end of it she loses the kids but she gets vision back and then yeah and then all that's doing is condensing you know multiple years worth of comic books into a you know distilled version for the sake of just we'll bring these characters in and we'll get them out again. We, you know, we can always bring them back in another guise at some point. Um, because also it seems like this whole thing's only happened for every week we're watching It's a Day in the Life for, for those in the town. Mm. It seems like Darcy's been watching for a week. That's what she said. Yes. Before I let you go, is there a character that you feel like being the MVP of the series? Because I'm, I'm, a, I'm loving everyone, but... Oh, I think, look, I think... Oh, character-wise, I'd probably still think Wanda. I know that's an easy call to make because she's in there. Uh, I mean, the character build of Agnes has been great um, and, and beautifully played. But when Elizabeth Olsen was cast in this role, surely, and I know that they have the most incredible amount of foresight in Marvel, but this is like I don't know how many phases ago that, that we, we got her character in. So the idea that she would have to deliver what she's delivering in this show as an actor, I think would have there would have been, you know, they wouldn't have known Disney Plus was going to exist, that they would have gone into television, that there would have been a pandemic that means we have to do things in a different way to produce a show like this. So this would not have been on the cards when they cast her and they've kept her and, of course, she's more than capable and, and is doing an incredible job and in doing so is giving... Once again, you know, whoever thought Iron Man was going to be, you know, one of the flagship stars of the Marvel Universe. And now here with WandaVision, I also think what we will lead to at the end, Agnes and Wanda, well, Wanda will break out of Agnes's spell that she seems to be under at the moment. She will unleash her powers and we officially get her birth as the Scarlet Witch and she will be given that title officially so that she can join the rest of her hero friends having a snappy name. Uh, And that, to me, is what will suddenly elevate this character, who was, even in the movies, was somewhat on the periphery, to now being someone that you're cheering and rooting for. And if they said, we're going to go make a Scarlet Witch movie, you go, great, I can't wait to see it. And who would have thought that? Who would have thought that? Especially after Age of Ultron, which was such a bit of a... Like, that movie's become weirdly important, even though it is a bit messy and not quite as fun and didn't quite deliver, but there's so many important moments that's come out of it. It's like they've retroactively put a lot of the spotlight of the Marvel Universe on it to give it a little bit more uh, gravitas, which is quite clever, I think. It's incredible. Now you suddenly go, I think I need to watch that again. There's probably a lot of a lot of secrets or a lot of... Uh clues that if you if you know that movie well enough you go oh no it's all it's all laid out right there and you get to see captain america just like rip wood with his bare arms and that's not a metaphor that he literally does that (laughs) 
And just the voice of James Spader, which to me is the sweetest sound in the world. Yeah, it's a damn good uh, voice. It's a shame it was uh, electronically altered. Just leave it. It's Spader. Just let him do it. Well, thank you for doing that. I'm looking forward to the last uh, two episodes. And, uh, man, it it went from being really funny to uh, to serious to absolutely scary in one episode. So I have uh, no idea where it's going to go next, but I'm pumped. Look, and just remember, Snoop has got a Snoop. Bill Murray plays Bob Harris, a middle-aged American movie star who travels to Tokyo to film an advert for the Japanese market. During the day, he struggles to deliver what the client wants for the advert, and at night, he's haunted by the pressures of his home life and the never-ending jet lag. Bob is keen to leave Tokyo as soon as he can. That is until he meets Charlotte Scarlett Johansson, a 20-something Yao philosophy graduate who, despite their differences, is experiencing a similar sense of ennui. The two become friends in an alien place that may never exist like this or for them again. Let's embrace the poetry of Lost in Translation. For relaxing times, make it Suntory time. Is that everything? I mean, it seemed like you said more than that. You're a movie star. Yes, I should be doing movies. You know Lat Pak? Rat Rat Pack? A ring a ding ding. Mr. Harris, Mr. Kazo said me. My stockings. Lip them. What? Hey! Lip my stockings! Lip them? What? What are you doing? My husband's a photographer, so he's here working. He wasn't doing anything, so I came along. What do you do? I'm not sure yet, actually. What are you doing here? Getting paid $2 million to endorse a whiskey. The good news is the whiskey works. Help! Can you keep a secret? I'm trying to organize a prison break. <laughs> We'd have to first get out of this bar, then the city, and then the country. Are you in or are you out? I'm in. You're probably just uh, having a midlife crisis. Did you buy a Porsche? You know, I was thinking about buying a Porsche. I just don't know what I'm supposed to be. You'll figure that out. The more you know who you are and what you want, the less you let things upset you. I was once performing at a stand-up gig in Melbourne mm. and uh, already I know this is in your wheelhouse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> And uh, I had some uh, middle-aged women disagreeing with what I was saying on stage. And then uh, after the gig, they came up and they really let me know their feelings on right. this subject. Right. Now, I have to point out, the material they objected to was a piece that I'd only performed for a while. And and I know people who are listening going, oh, my God, what was he saying? And it's <laughs> not that. Yeah. In my uh, 
thought process not really that controversial. Yeah. But essentially, the essence of it was never act on a crush because you ultimately ruin something that is magical. And they thought I was being incredibly negative, but I saw it as the opposite. No. And to me, this is what Lost in Translation is about. It's a perfect romance that exists in a place yeah. that will never be again. Yes. And so before we get into talking about the movie, what's your take on a crush? Because isn't a crush kind well, of magical? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's an, an element of romanticism and kind of um, pedestal putting on each you know what I mean yeah. putting someone like having an having a um, mythologized idea of a person that you really don't know yeah uh, and how can anyone really ever live up to that yeah. ideal I mean I think that's why so many you know what do they say the, the brighter the flame the quicker it flames out right you know those really intense passionate relationships that kick off the moment you meet yeah um, I think they do in the most part flame out quite quickly because how can anyone live up to you know, a dream, a dream vision, or an imagination, or you know what I mean. Yeah, it's, um, yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree with your 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 bit. And I feel like I've been on both sides of the equation in this. Mm. I feel like there have been people that I've dated that I had a crush on that I was very early on. You realize uh, the things that I like about you, I really like, and they are everything that I think that I thought they were in the beginning. Mm. But on on the flip side, essentially we're very different people and that's not going to work. Yeah. So I, to me a crush is like you can like you can work with someone for a few weeks and have a real crush on that person, never see them again. Yeah. And that's perfect. Yeah. But I reckon I've also been on the other end of it where I think someone's had a crush on me and then over time they get a bit shitty with you because you're not as good as what they thought you were. Yeah, 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 yeah. And no, I've, I've had relationships like that. Yeah, you want to apologise. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Like, if you just... When this started, if you just told me these are the bits of you I like, I would have gladly hit the other parts just to crack this down. <laughs> I would have kept the mask strapped on for a lot longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, to me it's always, you know, moments like... <laughs> oh, he's really passionate. And then after a while, they're like, fuck, he just keeps talking about David Bowen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that moment where the thing that you found really enticing at the beginning is suddenly the thing you find the most irritating about the person. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love his accent. It's so different to everyone else. <laughs> uh, you know, a couple of weeks later, fuck, if he pronounces it Lego one more time, <laughs> I am going to snap. <laughs> We've got a mutual friend who I've had a lot of conversations about. She really believes in the concept of love at first sight. Um, right. that you can fall in love with someone without knowing anything about them. And I profoundly disagree. I think it's lust at first sight or it's passion at first sight, but love to me is, you know, a very... Love to me is uh, knowing someone for everything that they are and still wanting to spend time with them. Yeah, um, can, it can be crush at first sight. Yeah, crush at first sight. Yeah, yeah. And, and crushes can be hugely overwhelming. They can be deranging. Yeah. Uh, but I do think it is leaning... A crush, a lot of the time, is leaning into that kind of... Uh, that the, the way you would like something to play out. The yeah. storybook. I mean, I don't know if when you were a teenager... I'm assuming you did because we're very similar in this sense. You, know, you would you? get a crush. <laughs> you would get a crush on someone, and yeah. you know, at night, just be lying there, like oh. imagining how it was going to play out, and yeah. you know, it was this beautiful romance and everything. And back to what I was saying earlier, it's like very little, very few things in life can live up to that ideal in uh, your brain. Yeah, you know? and it's 
so funny that you say that. I literally, over the weekend, <laughs> was listening to... Uh, I go through different stages with my Bowie albums mm-hmm. and I was listening to Scary Monsters and I'm uh, notoriously a big fan of the second side. No, when I say notoriously, like to me. To you. <laughs> even though the first side has Ashes to Ashes and Fashion and stuff like that, but the third side has all these great songs and there's a, there's a track that's a, a little known Bowie song and possibly even little love, but I love it, which is called Because You're Young. And there's a line where he sings... Uh, uh, he promised his heart was loving her such a crime. And I remember that brought back memories from being a teenager going, oh, yeah, I remember that girl I had a crush on and that lyric really spoke to me. <laughs> <laughs> he wrote it just for me, about me. Well, I don't think he, I don't, I didn't think he wrote it for me, but I definitely felt like it, was speaking to people of my ilk. And, yeah. you know, but so that's what a crush can kind of be. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. possibly a crush and love, the difference is when the person you love accidentally farts in front of you, you go, whatever. And when the person you have a crush on accidentally farts on you, you go, ah, oh, well, that ruined everything, didn't it? <laughs> you are mortal. You yeah. are not an elfin queen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I reckon a girl that I went on a date with once who. Uh, had a crush on me, I reckon it was ruined the moment I accidentally knocked a glass of wine over. Yeah. Oh, no, look at him. Fallible. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Boo. Yeah, it's... Um, <laughs> do, do you have any crushes that you kind of, not like, you know, that you kind of still maybe a bit of your heart pines for? Oh, good question, Mr. Elwood. Um, I don't think so. Mm. I don't think so. Not at this point. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anyone... I will let that question sit in the back of my head and see if someone springs to mind. But I don't think I've had that kind of a feeling for anyone for a long time. I think you can also have crushes on the same sex, but it's not, you know, like, it's not, of course, it's not a desire thing, but it's like, oh, that person's shiny. You know, yeah, absolutely. I had it on the weekend. I yeah. was watching a guy just so hyper competent at what he was doing, and uh, I was watching him for a couple of hours. I was on a set, and he was, you know, yeah. running the show, and I developed a massive crush on him. Yeah, just like, oh my god, you are just, you are glowing, you are so attractive. Yeah, so just in it. Yeah, you know, and just that kind of like, you know, blushing on the side of set, like, oh, what a man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's what it's like. Yeah. I, th- I feel like, I, I don't think it would be, I actually don't think crush is the right word, but I've been finding a lot of the younger people that I've been hanging out with uh, really a breath of fresh air. Inspiring. And inspiring. You know, we've had uh, Ange on this podcast. Yeah. And she's just, it's just a different energy. Yeah. She's just interesting. You like being around her. We've I've got... Uh, uh, some people coming up, uh, AJ Lamar, who, lovely young fella. Uh, Oliver Twist is a really interesting young guy as well. So I've enjoyed being around those people and that they've been a bit shiny to me and they've been a little bit of a reminder of traits that you have lost or maybe mm-hmm. forgotten that you still possess. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know if I've had a crush on anyone for quite a while, actually. What about mm. you? Um, no, I haven't had a, I haven't had a crush on anyone in a while, but there are definitely like, uh, what could have been probably about three of them in my life where I, I look back on them and, and, you know, 
<laughs> underneath all the cynicism and the oh, whatever, you know. Uh, and I don't wish for a different life because you never know what could have been. Something mm. you think could have been amazing could have led to your ultimate downfall. But uh, no, there's definitely three women in my life that uh, it, it seemed like something could have happened and just due to circumstance or just not wanting to open that door for whatever reason at the time, you know, the, the, I do look back on and go, oh man, that could, have, that could have been something really lovely. It could have been. <laughs> it could have been. I, I have this, uh, I, I have this awful feeling that there's uh, a part of me, uh, look, this is, this will sound comedic, but I think there is a part of me that actually subscribes to this, which is if I meet someone now that I think could, you know, have a great relationship with, I feel like saying, hey, why don't we just get to the bit where we break up and then we, we've got all the shit out the way and now we can just get back to being, like, really close friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just uncomplicate it. Yeah. 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 I have, like, what, uh, uh, how can I talk about this without betraying someone? Someone who I dated a long, long, long time ago has, in the recent months, had a certain type of surgery that is cosmetic. Right. Sends me photos just to show me how it's coming along. And it is hilarious because it's like, they look great. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and, and it's like, oh, I thought... How weird is it? You know, that's a conversation that's going back and forth yeah. and there is just nothing to it and it's yeah. and I and I love that's where our friendship is at. Yeah, and I think some of the most profound like uh, a couple of the most profound friendships I have are with exes. Mm. Uh particularly one uh we were we first got together in 2005. Uh and so it's that thing of, you know, once we got through the whole, you know, hey, we don't work together as you know, as boyfriend and girlfriend and you know, there was a fallow period where we didn't really communicate and then when we came out on the other side of it there's a level of closeness there that i don't have with a lot of other people because a there's just a history Mm. and we've seen so many different durations of each other over the years but also we've seen each other at our most vulnerable Mm. and so there's a closeness there and once you know and i think it is rare but i do feel sorry for people that say that they you know none of their exes they're friends with or have any contact oh, with yeah because i think there's if if you can get through to the other side where it's like look it's platonic or whatever we can even have a cuddle and it's not you know it's not going to escalate or it's not going to cause confusion of is it back on or anything like that yeah um there's something very beautiful to those relationships um, yeah. to hold on to those well you've been through so much together yeah. you, you i think you definitively need that fallow time absolutely Absolutely. Because even when you haven't seen your ex for a while and you hear that they're seeing someone else, you have that moment where you go, oh, mm. oh, I can't believe they're seeing someone else. Why yeah. have they joined a nunnery? That's yeah. what you meant to do. Yeah. Wasn't I the best thing that you've ever had? You should be and walking around deranged for the rest of your life like a Sicilian widow. What do you mean you moved on? <laughs> I don't understand. I haven't moved on. Why have you moved on? Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's such a dumb thing. And, and, yeah. and but the, the, as long as you have more time away from that, so then when you can turn that... Mm. When that weird little clicks in, you can then just go, oh, that was weird. Why am I thinking that? And then yeah. you're fine. And then yeah, from yeah, that yeah. moment on, it's great. Yeah. And, and they feel like some of the most adult relationships because, you know, there's potentially a bit of gnarly kind of feeling stuff to navigate. But yeah. you choose to kind of go there because yeah. it's worth it. Uh, it's not just hanging out and goofing off initially. There's some emotional stuff to get through. Yeah. 
<laughs> my uh, <laughs> I saw a, I saw someone who I dated uh, a while back uh, recently, and we were with a whole group of people, and I was saying how I'd been doing yoga with Adrienne online. Oh yes, and, yoga with Adrienne is great. <laughs> and someone said to me, uh, "You're just perving on her." I said, "No, I'm not perving on her. I uh, like I, I wish she was my cousin. Like it's one of those things where someone said, "Do you want to go to this family function?" And I'd say, "Nah," and they'd say, "Adrienne's going to be there." I said, "Oh, really? Yeah. You know what? I'm going to take the yoga mat and do some alternate nostril breathing and get my downward dog on. She's great." And my the girl that I used to date was like, ah, that is your fucking problem. Everyone else looks at this girl and wants to have sex with her and you just want to be friends. I said, I know my downfalls. I know I know my weaknesses. Anyway. Well Speaking so, of crushes, who doesn't have a crush on uh, Adrian from Yoga with Adrian? I think there uh, is I think everyone man, woman that I've spoken to is like, Oh, she's just isn't she great? Yeah. But you know what? That it, it is a crush. It's just yeah. like, well, you are just shiny and yeah. You really relax me, and mm-hmm. I could imagine hanging out with you when I taught. You would pay attention, like I'd say something, totally. and I'd get lost in what I was saying. You'd totally. say, "Oh, you were saying this," and you go, oh, "You're the best." And, yeah. she, <laughs> and she has a cute dog. Good on her. And sometimes a crush is, uh, you know, it's not even sexual or even not romantic. It's just the sense of comfort. I, I yeah. went and got a. Um, I, I, I haven't told. I think I maybe I haven't told you. Uh, I've been getting my heart checked yes. the last couple of weeks, so I've had to have a few full-on exams and I went for one yesterday and the nurse I had to get an echogram and the nurse that was doing it um he should have had his own meditation app uh because he had to ultrasound my heart and he had his arm wrapped around me not in any kind of comforting way or anything but just by the necessity of how the position was and he was just talking like this okay so breathe in hold you can breathe again and this went on for about 25 minutes and I felt like I was in the womb. It just felt yeah. so comforting and I felt so blissed out. And it wasn't a romantic or sexual crush, but it was that real feeling of safety and security with this stranger yeah. Yeah. who wasn't, you know, actually cradling me. He was just doing what he had to do. Yeah. But his aura was so profound that, you know, I looked at him at the end with these big doe eyes like, you should voice your own meditation. <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh- is your heart pregnant? Is it okay? Yeah, I'm alright. Pregnant with possible. Well, I, I actually, I'm seeing the cardiologist tomorrow, oh, so okay. maybe on the next episode, I'll be, uh, you know, have a fucking pacemaker in or something. Jeez, a little bit of uh, accidental forward selling for the next appearance. <laughs> this is great. So, uh, it I want that I wanted to talk about crushes because I think in many ways this is what this movie excels at. It mm-hmm. excels at the at the fleeting crush between two very lost and lonely people. But mm. um, I've known a few people who didn't like this film, not many, yep. but uh, the few that haven't liked it have all said the same thing, which is they claim nothing happens. And apart from... What are you talking about? Yeah, well, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> like, apart from disagreeing completely with them, isn't the lack of a driving narrative what makes this movie feel so real? Because yeah. it means there's no... Like, in a, in a lesser film, in a lesser film when... She discovers him in bed with the jazz singer. Yeah. That's that's like 30 minutes of the film. Yep. And yep. instead it's this really funny, awkward, shitty lunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they're over it. And then they're over it. Because there's that that there's that unspoken acceptance among both of them. And 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 obviously the 
I don't even know if it's an attraction. I, I, like, I, there's nothing about their connection that made me feel creeped out or weird or anything. It, mm. It's completely. It feels completely appropriate the whole time, even though it's very inappropriate because they're both married and there's a 30 year age difference. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's there seems to be a an acceptance among both of them, that this is just what it is for now. Mm. Uh, and I think if there was any kind of more narrative structure to it, as in, you know, the big dramatic beats, you would lose that real sense of um, universality to it. Yeah. It's very beautiful because it's very true. Yeah. Like, very true. The performances are unbelievable. Oh, so beautiful. Yeah. I feel like I have a bit of a hot take on Scarlett Johansson, who I would never... If someone said name some of your favourite actors, I wouldn't immediately think of Johansson but when I think of her in Ghost Town and in this and then uh, Under the Skin Under the Skin Come on Like <laughs> holy shit is she yeah. is she like potentially the female Brad Pitt who's, Yeah she's amazing You know uh, this this actress who fits a, a Hollywood ideal of what they should look like mm. but has a lot more going on that's yep. much more interesting than we give credit for. Yeah, and like Brad, can play uh, in the big blockbuster world, yes. but also go full indie, you know, I mean, I know we're talking about Lost in Translation, but yeah. Under the Skin is a remarkable film. We should do that. Film. We sh- I'd love to. That's yeah. one of my favourite oh, films of all time. You know how, we should do it after, why don't we do, we'll throw this out there for everyone all listening right. if they like the idea of this, yeah. but maybe after we do Sophia Coppola, rather than doing another director straight afterwards. Maybe we should finally do a Space Podyssey. Sure. And do a whole lot of sci-fi films. Sure. Absolutely. Under the Skin is just... If no one's seen Under the Skin, watch Under the Skin. Oh, uh, yeah. And but strap in. It is a very, it's a very upsetting movie on a yeah. lot of levels. It, it's the, no, 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 more t- no title of a movie has ever been more descriptive of what it actually, how it yes. actually affects you. And she's amazing. She's amazing. And, 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 and this was height of Avengers' career when she did that. Yes. You know? yeah. And also... Really good in Avengers, yeah. like uh, specifically the Winter Soldier. I think is her best mm. performance because she's really all the way through that film. You're never quite certain whose side she's yeah. on, yeah. and uh, yeah, she she knows like Pitt. She knows how to be a character actor, and she knows how to be a fucking a list movie star, yeah, action hero. Yeah. yeah, yeah, she's she's great, and and that whole scene, the the tension between them is. And then, if if you don't think anything's happening in this movie, you're not watching this movie. Yeah, you're not watching the movie. Like it's, it's it, it's. I mean, I don't know if it's expressionistic, but it's more expressionistic than literal. Like it's more. Mm. It's the feeling of that whole thing, you know, unrecorded, a, a thing that cannot be, even though both of you are pining for it, and you know, but reality is solid and getting in the way and. And, not even, and would it even be great if it wasn't in this context? Probably not. You yeah. know, it's because they're both lonely and pining. And this this fleeting moment in time, mm. they have met and it's perfect. Mm. And it it's never going to be the same. No. For as soon as... Even though they are isolated in this bubble, once they leave that bubble, they can't go back in. It's yeah, done. That's right. It Which was, is true of so many... Rela- it's true of so many relationships. Yes, I feel that way about friendships as well. Yeah. Like there are, yep. I've come to the conclusion recently, uh, been a big year for how am I coming to conclusions about himself. <laughs> They've all been positive, people. They've all been positive. <laughs> but one of the conclusions I've come to recently is that friendships 
they they kind of just are done when like relationships 100%. are, and it's okay. People have a really hard time with that concept. Mm. I don't know. I, like, I've often wondered if there's an element of my personality that's quite cold mm. in that I've never really had an issue with that. I've always been very cognizant of the fact that 95% of relationships, whether they're friendships, r- romantic relationships, even familial relationships, are transitory in the sense that uh, there's very few people you're going to know your entire life. Yeah, through you know, there's only I've only got one friend that I've known for that, that I'm very close with for the last twenty years. You know, there's others that have been in and out and everything, but a lot of people have a very hard time with that concept. It seems you mm. know, it's like oh, we had this great conversation, now we're best friends, and it's like no, no, it was, we were just really drunk at this night, and we had a great conversation, and it kind of exists in that bubble, and that's not to diminish it. No. In a weird way, it gives it more resonance that it doesn't need to be this ongoing forever thing where it's stretched out it is just you know two beings connected really profoundly in that moment right and it probably can't be like that again because again it goes back to that thing of you know idealizing someone and you know the reason that you're your most at your firing on all cylinders when you're talking to a hairdresser or a cab driver is because there's no baggage mm. and you just can you know, full force go for it. Yeah. Whereas if a friendship developed well within a couple of months, you're eventually going to disappoint that person because you're a human being right. and then we're going to have to navigate each other's foibles and yeah. things that irritate each other and you can never kind of exist in that bubble over the long term. Yeah, I think you should be allowed to tap on, tap off with a friendship. <laughs> been, this has been great, but five stars. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, it happens. You know, you see someone that you haven't seen in. I saw someone on the weekend that I haven't seen for two years, and it was a bit frosty when we last saw each other. And as soon as we saw each other, we burst out laughing and just hugged. Right. And it was that unspoken thing. We don't need to reference any of that tension that existed. Let's just, you know, and everything as, as it was. Yeah. I don't know when I'll see her again. Yeah. But in that, you know, it was beautiful yeah. to tap on back on. <laughs> and you also, you also have to work at friendships as well. Mm. And I think that's what kind of. We, we were talking before the uh, podcast uh, started recording. It, for everyone listening, Ben and I sometimes do these podcasts where we don't use microphones or record. But you might call them conversations, but uh, <laughs> I call them lost content. And uh, <laughs> Oh, oof. That's brutal. All right, yep. No, but it's uh, – but I wrote a – I was telling you I wrote this blog recently yeah. where I'd realised that for a certain period of my life I'd been – without realising it, infected with a level of pessimism and cynicism that was kind of bubbling under the surface and I didn't quite know it was there and it was affecting the way I approached everything in life from friendships to creativity, etc. And it was through the inoculation of isolation Mm. that I had an opportunity to remember who who I'm meant to be and when I'm at my best. Mm. And it's been really uplifting and it's been really positive and it's been really inspiring. And part of the offshoot of that is I now look at certain friendships and think, I can't catch up with you anymore because you're part of the problem. It's not your fault, mm. but it, those people are the people who infect me. You know, they're the ones who, with their little comments here, little comments there, or their actions here, their actions there, which in the moment are 
whatever mm. but over time accumulate and yeah. create this this bacteria that gets into totally. you totally it's like being an aa and not being able to hang out with your old drinking buddies yeah yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> sorry insert name i'm not going to say because people might know who it is uh, I've gone 30 days without you and I want to keep this... Uh... <laughs> I, want to, I want the next chip. <laughs> I want the next chip. <laughs> I hear it's delicious. <laughs> uh, this movie does an exquisite job of exploring not only the effects of being lonely, yeah. but more importantly, how it feels to be lonely. Uh, what were some of the other emotions you experienced when uh, watching this movie? Regret, longing, uh, um, that dreamscape... Oh, you know, the, the dreamscape... What my, what, my, what my alternate life could be. The dreamscape of this whole film. Yeah. It's such a exquisite-looking movie, mm. don't you think? Yeah, it's like it's this, There's so many shots where you go, oh, my God, I, if I owned a place, I would love to have that as mm. a print on a wall. Yeah. And there's a real... Like, I love the Virgin Suicides. This is not a comment on that, which mm. I thought was especially for a first movie, it was yeah. incredible. Yeah. Uh, but there is a, there's this, I don't know what it is, there's a different type of confidence in this film yes. that she just allows it to happen, she allows it to play out. Yeah. Scenes are more attached emotionally than they are needing to go from here to here to here. Yeah. We just kind of get it. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, I felt that uh, that dream state uh, was infecting me as well. And there is a. Did you find that it was also a warning? Like I found it to be a bit of a warning in, in the character of Bob, and we'll get into Bob a little yeah, bit later. Yeah, yeah. But looking at Bob and going, "Ooh, be careful," because that yeah. is that's a way you can go. What, as in you know, kind of. Filled with regret and looking back on your life and wishing it was different. Or... You know, I've got something coming up a little bit later, but it's essentially here's someone who has achieved a lot. Yeah, and it means nothing. Yeah, and yeah. I and I and I kind of think that's his fault. Yeah, and I think it leans into stuff that we've talked about previously about you know that whole idea of if your heart is not full it really doesn't matter what you have yeah you know if there's something fundamentally defective in you then all the success in the world isn't going to make you happy yeah um you know he even talks about there's a moment where he says i think he says it to scarlet where he's like um you know oh now i'm in japan getting paid two million dollars to do a whiskey ad oh. when i could be on a plane so he's so resentful it's like yeah getting paid two million dollars to spend a week in Japan and turn to camera and go, oh, this whiskey's really nice. Like, that's not something to complain about. That's fucking cool. And you can go and do the play next week. Like, yeah. I don't know. Like, it, it's, it, there's that, you know, that lack of joy or even the lack of... Um, I think what happens to a lot of people when they get success is there's that initial like, whoa, I can't believe this is happening. This is so cool. And then yeah. eventually that just ossifies. And uh, I guess if you have opportunity after opportunity and success after success, how do you still hold on to that? Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, well, le- well, let's jump ahead a little bit and I'll go back to the uh, the other questions in a sec. But the I, I actually have for you, what do you think of Bob? And in brackets, I, I think that is the most telling comment that he makes where mm. he says, I'm doing this. The flip side of that is he is quite clearly a big movie star, even if he's potentially on the wane. Yeah. He didn't have to go and do the advert. No, he does that, yeah. So, you know, 
Like, hey, you can go and do a play later on. Yeah. But also, you didn't have to do this. Yeah. And I, I think there is... I've, I've really watching it very closely, I found Bob fascinating because I, I, I find him extremely relatable and I find him incredibly charming and I, he's vulnerable and I don't know if I really like him. Really? I That's don't know. I think he's... I understand like when those guys are excited at the bar but he's kind of a bit... He's rude to them. Well, I get that because those guys that. are douches. <laughs> but, I was on the exact same thing. Right. Bye. Right. But <laughs> then there's the woman who comes up at the end who who introduces herself and he just turns very coldly towards her. Yeah. I think some of his humour towards the Japanese people is fucking right on the edge of... Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that, definitely. Uh, definitely and, yeah. and he's not making that much of an effort. But then, but this yeah. is what makes him a real character because then there's times he's extremely charming and he's heaps of fun. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems to me that he has surrendered to what he thinks is the inevitability of his career arc. Yes, where he is, you know, oh, I'm that guy now. I'm the, you know, late middle aged, used to be very famous guy, and this is my only option left is to do this Sataki whiskey ad and. So he's kind of surrendering to the idea of a narrative that doesn't necessarily exist. Right. Uh, that's where I think his, you know, malaise and fatigue and all that comes from. And also, you know, I guess he's constantly referencing this 25-year-old marriage that, and based on their phone conversations, is clearly, it's clearly done or it needs a shot in the arm and something needs to shift Ooh. immediately. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't, I, I really, actually really like him because I think... Ultimately, if he is rude to those two guys at the bar or cold to that woman at the end, he's not cold to the woman at the end for no reason. It's because Scarlett Johansson shows back up. Yeah. And he's like, you know, oh, you are not, you know, some fan is not my priority right now. This is my priority. But I think when, I think what's what's remarkable about his performance is, uh, and clearly I say this as a guy, but I did not read anything sinister, creepy, or inappropriate about his longing for her over the course of the film. It never felt like, you know, clearly there's, you know, in the parlance of the day, there's problematic aspects to this blossoming romance. You know, when he puts her to bed... You, there was never a moment where you're like, oh my God, he's going to do something really fucked up. Yeah. Even when they're lying in bed together, yeah. there's a moment where she leans in towards him and it's a very subtle move from him. He just leans back a bit. Yeah. He just moves away from her a little bit. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, you know, I think that's probably a dual thing of him, you know, stopping himself from yeah. escalating this. But that's a good thing. It's a, yeah, that's what I mean. That's yeah. why I like him. Because yeah. it's like, you know, he's clearly longing for her, but he's also clearly keeping it in check because he is aware of this is, you know, I'm in a position of power, I'm significantly older and I'm married and she's married. Uh, And, you know, in that, I think in that test, especially when you talk about uh, male, older male characters in movies, a lot of older male characters in movies don't pass that test. Right. (laughs) They act like fucking creeps. Yeah. There's not even a gross little comment that he makes that's like, bro, it's kind of, it's very wholesome, you know? Um, and at first I was thinking, oh, is it, is it kind of like a paternal, paternalistic 
um, performance in that he's seeing her as like almost a daughter figure, and it's not at all. No, it's not that. Like it's it's, it's a proper friendship. Yeah, it's a friendship which then turns into like a romantic longing. Um, but the reason I liked him as a character, a was that kind of vulnerability I relate to. And just that kind of like exhaustion, <laughs> right? I I I I resonate with that, um, and also just the fact that, um, yeah, he doesn't act like a fucking grot, right? But that's even even like I love him as a character. Mm. I don't know if I like him as a person, mm. but I also that's what makes him this movie compelling is that I do respect all of that stuff. Like mm. the the two the two moments of perfection. Uh, of affection that mm. are so beautiful in this is after their great night out, the way she just rests her head on yeah. his shoulder and that shot, which has been a poster and everything, mm. is one of the many beautiful shots in yeah. the film. And then also in the bed sequence, he just holds her heel. Yeah. And it's just a reassuring, I'm just going to go to sleep quite clearly on this side. Yeah. And uh, it's a little bit of affection, but yeah. it just kind of stays at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't cross a line into predation or you know because i mean god that scene where they're they're in his hotel room getting drunk on saki and they're both on the bed that scene could have played out very fucking differently in a different movie yes you know in in many different directions yeah that could have ended in the most horrific way it could have ended in a way that made the audience feel gross yeah you know like you're kind of voyeuring in on something that is really inappropriate yes uh i mean and i think that's what i admire about this movie that it is I think it's an exquisite bit of tightrope walking mm. that's more subtle than maybe people even realise. Yeah. It could easily, whether it's through the direction or the performance or even a fucking sinister music cue, could be a very different movie. Oh, even uh, even as we were saying before, the, the choice in direction where there uh, and screenwriting where there isn't a weird narrative that's applied to it that fits a formulaic Hollywood movie, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it allows it to be what it is. Yep. And it's still validating the very real emotions. Like, it's yeah. still validating that she's pissed off and a little bit jealous. Yeah. But it doesn't edge into this, you know, very, like you said, very formulaic thing. So, uh, another question that I had for later, but why might as well do it now, is um, when when we discover that Bob slept with the jazz singer, mm. who, who are you more disappointed for? Charlotte discovering or his wife never knowing? Probably his wife never knowing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, such a, it's such a funny... Because I, I was like, oh, well, that is disappointing for Charlotte to have to witness. Oh, his wife! <laughs> <laughs> it kind of seems like his wife would be like, yeah, okay, Bob. <laughs> yeah. Based on, based yeah. on their... You know, um, it seems like they're very, very disconnected at this point in their relationship. Yeah. Why do you think he slept with the jazz singer? I think he got really drunk and he was just fucking lonely. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it was what he wished could have been happening, you know. You know, in some way with in Charlotte. In some way with Charlotte. But, yeah, you know, it but, was inappropriate. So, you know. Yeah. I mean, w- w- when he wakes up, it's clearly, he's clearly in a fugue state. Oh, so yeah. So, I think he was pretty fucked up. Yeah. Uh, they were probably both pretty fucked up. Yeah. Um, but he, it's not like he wakes up even really remembering what's happened. Yeah. So, the, when he sees the, you know, the clues around the room. And he hears the singing. The singing, singing. yeah. It's like, oh, no. <laughs> Uh, I, I find the opening shot fascinating uh, where we see uh, Johansson's lower back in a little top and her mm. underwear. Mm. And 
I'm I'm curious to know what you sort of thought of that when you first saw that shot because for me, it lingers for so long, and I think I think they timed it as like 34 seconds or something like yeah, that, really. and in that 34 seconds, it goes from being beautiful to feeling a little bit awkward to then finishing as art. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I did I did wonder how that shot would read if. This movie was directed by a man. Yes, uh, and in fact, my buddy, my buddy that I was watching it with last night, um, it's one of his favorite movies. But he was just goofing off, just going like, "Oh, so it's all right if it's a woman directing it, is it? Like, if this was a man directing it, he'd be fucking cancelled." Yeah, um, but but he's correct because yeah. because the difference is Michael Bay lingering on uh, Megan Fox's bum mm-hmm. in denim shorts, yeah. and that's just there for teenage boys to. You know. Yeah, I know. Do what they need to do. <laughs> I don't need to fill it in. Everyone knows. Everyone listening is just going, yeah, yeah, we've got you it, know, Hamo, Just yeah. move on, mate. Um, but it is such a such an exquisite shot, the lighting, all of it. Mm. Oh, there's more about that a little bit later, but it's, yeah. a, it's a funny uh Yeah, what do you think that process. shot was trying to say? Well, I think it immediately gives you a sense of the languid tone that you're about to experience in the film. Right. Okay. You know, the fact that it is... Immediately, you go from that dreamlike state to Bob pretty much being asleep in the back of a taxi, and then waking up to all these lights and looking around. And he's then he sees himself, and it's like he has to crunch his eyes because it's like I'm there. Hang on, I'm here. Where am I? So I think it uh, starts you off in that dreamlike space. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe from my interpretation is that maybe this is a fulcrum of what Bob's going to go through. Like he sees her, thinks she's beautiful. And then for a while he starts to feel awkward and then it gets to a point of absolute beauty. Yeah. So, okay. That's, yeah, that's really nice. Um, part of the reason our main characters feel lonely is because of the cultural gap. Have you had that feeling when you travel abroad? Yeah. Anywhere in particular? I had it when I went to Japan. Yeah. (laughs) Big time. (laughs) Right. I've never been to Japan. Oh, it's fucking crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Nothing can can prepare you for it. Right. It's it's a very, very fascinating place. You know, this mix of ancient Shinto tradition and religion mixed with this just insane neon lit post- Hiroshima insanity, right? Uh, robots and fucking Godzillas, and it, it's it's a it's an overwhelming place. Yeah, um, yeah, and I definitely felt that. Which you know, I guess is um, I, I think is a really good experience to have, mm. where you are the other. Yes, uh, and you don't understand what anyone's saying, and it's it, it was very um, humbling and very uh, created a lot of empathy. Yeah, I mean, I think I had that. Growing up anyway, because my grandparents were always the other. Right. Uh, you know, thick accents, you know, and people always talking to them like this. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, so to be on that end of it was, um, you know. And also there's there's certain parts of New York that I've been in where I was the only white person. Yes. And that was another f- sense of like, oh, I'm the I'm very different here. Yeah. Um, I never felt intimidated or scared or anything, but I was very, it was the first time in my life I was very acutely aware of my whiteness. Oh, yeah. I mean, in New York, I, uh, I made friends with a, a Dutch guy, this mm. really super cool Dutch guy mm. at the Backpackers, and we went and saw Vernon Reed play yeah. in New York, a guitarist from Living End. And, uh, like, at one point... Uh, 
my mate turned around and he said, you're the only white person here. And it was like that moment where I turned around, I was like, oh, I've never experienced this before at that point in my yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. And it was really... It's very jarring. Yeah. I look back and uh, the, the first thing that makes me feel really happy is that I didn't realise it. I thought, oh, nice one. You, you obviously <laughs> just went in and went, you know, that's, that, that's, a, that's a good sign. It's not like I walked in and went, what is happening here? Yeah, yeah, it yeah. was until uh, uh, Bertus turned around to me and, sa- and said it to me as a joke and I looked around and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a feeling that I feel like... So... Uh, before lockdown happened, mm. the first quarantine, yeah. when, when COVID really hit, I yeah. planned on getting out of this apartment and I had all these frequent flyer points and I wanted to cash in and was, you know, sort of planning to go to South America because I found a, an Airbnb that was like $1,000 for three months. And I was like, Whoa. oh my God, I could stay in this one place. That can be my base. And then I can do little trips here, little trips here. But to be honest, I don't know if my heart was really in it i think it was more a case of funnily enough i was thinking i have all these frequent flyer points and i have this fear that Qantas will do something to yeah. make them invalid or yeah. worthless yeah and uh and then i gotta cash these in while i can and yeah. <laughs> purely by chance and then everything went to shit and i i remember at the time feeling a little bit relieved because i'd it, it felt like i had to do it yeah. and watching this movie reminded me that it's a really exhilarating feeling to not quite know where you're at or Mm. what's going on Mm. or, as you said, being the other. And uh, for the first time in many years, I had a craving to go and have that experience again somewhere. Yeah, right. I don't know where it will be, but it was a good reminder of how liberating that feeling can be. And it's funny, he, he goes into this world and because he's being looked after, he is completely cut off from Tokyo in many yeah, ways. Right. Whereas she's being ignored and she's desperately going out, you know, looking at the monks and all that kind of the stuff. Video game arcade. Yeah. yeah. And she, through not being looked after, shows him how to get out there. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I relate to him. I, 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 I'm the opposite of you. I, I've had to come to uh, uh, admit to myself over the years that I am such a hobbit yeah. such a creature of habit and yeah. travel is just not for me i don't enjoy it when i was in japan i mean there was a lot of there was there was extracurricular stuff going on at home that was um fucking with my head a bit but i remember the last week of japan i was literally breaking the day down into hour blocks counting it down let's get the fuck out of here right i want to go home i want my books i want my projector i yeah. want my music um and then when i went to new york in 2019 in march um i went for three weeks thinking this would be great three weeks in new york a week in i was done yeah get me out of here you right know? so um whatever the opposite of wanderlust is that's what i've got yeah <laughs> My wonder- I don't want to leave the Shire. Yeah, my my wanderlust goes from the lounge to the kitchen. Totally, yeah. totally. I've got. I feel like I've possibly. I've been. I, I feel like I've gone through that as well. Yeah. I, I've been. I was being very lucky that I. The first time I got to go overseas, I was eight. Mum saved up a lot of money, and we went to the UK and France and Italy and Switzerland, and uh, mm. and then uh, when I was seventeen, my. I went with my club to America and played basketball. And so, 
they were two really lucky moments. And then I've been very lucky to go and perform in Afghanistan and New Zealand yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I wonder if sometimes, maybe, maybe because I a lot of my travel has coincided with work, mm. I've forgotten that going away can also be relaxing. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You don't have to be, okay, you've got to be here, here, here. And that's, that's a problem that Bob's probably having, you know, yeah. probably all his travel for however many years has been, I'm flying to this country to make a movie. I'm flying here to make an advert. And that's yeah, yeah, his yeah. wife's at home going, fuck you, I'm stuck here with the kids and yeah, you're yeah, travelling yeah, 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 and yeah. you're not even enjoying it yeah. and you forgot the birthday. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. and in that context of travelling for work, I was talking to a, a, a very well-known American comic one time who travels all through the world and he was just going... I just go to the bar. I just go to the bar. So I haven't even been to all these places. I've just been to the inside of different bars. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. It's a, it's a good reminder of how to do it yeah. or not to do it. Yeah. Uh, the use of windows allows us to watch Charlotte reflecting on a city she is having trouble immersing herself in. We also see Bob chopped off from the world as he looks out the windows of his moving cab. And we even have a scene that plays out with just a reflection mm. of Bob and Charlotte talking. Is it just me or does this movie feel even more relevant after our numerous isolation of totally. moments in 2020? Totally. It felt, felt like it had a totally different resonance to me. I was like, I, I, might, not have, I might not be looking out my window at uh, Tokyo, but I have been looking out of a lot of windows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like we've all been in one of those, uh, those uh, glass-walled pet stores. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hope someone's going to buy me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's an early moment where Charlotte calls her mum and tries to tell her about visiting the shrine and seeing the monks praying and she begins to cry mm. because she didn't feel anything. Mm. I find that scene really heartbreaking yep. and, you know, the moment that she says, I don't even, it kind of segues into, I don't even think I even know my husband and her mum doesn't understand. And it's such a heartbreaking moment and... What do you think is the main issue? And she has a few things that she's juggling, but what do you think is the main thing that Charlotte is dealing with at that point in her life? I think in that point in her life, the overarching thing is feeling trapped in this marriage that yeah. is very, that seems very spiritually and uh, unfulfilling. There's a, there's a really beautiful scene where Giovanni Ribisi's on <laughs> the ground. He's really good. Yeah, he's great. Just yeah. manically, da-da-da-da. And she... Just kind of walks through frame in her underwear, oh. and the the shot is very idealized, and I think it's very much designed to make the audience fall in love with her in that moment. Yeah, and she's not being overtly sexy or trying to seduce him. Even it's just, hey, I'm here. Yeah, and he doesn't even notice. Yeah, and I think that is the kind of Rosetta Stone to the whole thing. She yes. is just an accessory. She's just there. You know, when she says. When he goes, wants to go down to have drinks with that movie star that wants to, you know, and she's uh, like, I'll come with you. Oh, okay. yeah, you'll, you'll come with me. <laughs> or how delighted he is when she doesn't want to come yeah. to the shoot. You know, it's like, no, no, it'll be boring for you. So she's, I think, I think that's the overarching thing, which probably then leads into this feeling of I'm not feeling anything. Yeah. You know? I, I mean, I've felt that before where I'm staring at something that I should be resonating with and I can't just don't feel anything yeah that was like your first viewing of Tenet and then yeah. you came around yeah I'm there. <laughs> and we're back <laughs> I, just, I just didn't want anyone to think that I'd forgotten what drives me but no it's I think what you said about that scene is really on the money as well because yeah. I was sitting there because he drives me insane yeah. because I feel like 
he's probably married her for the right reasons. Yeah. Like, she's obviously really smart. Yeah. She's funny. Yeah. And then he's caught up in whoever he is mm. and she has now become an accessory. Like, the fact that we've already seen her in that underwear and gone through that whole gamut of emotions and to have her... As you said, she's not doing anything. She's just mm. walking Walks around in her underwear mm. and... A, he doesn't even look up and you're thinking, holy shit, like, look at your wife. Yeah. Like, like you don't have to be pouring her, but you you could take a moment to turn around and say, damn, you look beautiful, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. But that scene finishes with him saying, hi, can you not smoke? It's really unhealthy yeah, for you. Yeah, but yeah. Not, never realising that what he's doing is so much unhealthier. Yeah, yeah, her. yeah. And this kind of superficial play oh. acting of caring about her yeah. without actually giving her any, um, paying her any attention. Yeah, it's uh, I, he's really he's a very good performance. Every, it's, it's a great performance, yeah. and one of the great scenes in the movie is when uh, he catches up with Anna Faris's character, and they're laughing, and it's over nothing. Mm-hmm. And then Charlotte makes a comment afterwards, and his first reaction is, "Why do you have to be so negative?" And yeah. she's like, "I just thought I was being." funny because you know what once upon a time they were on the same wavelength and that was funny to him but now that he's buying into that shit you know where he's going he's on his way to be Bob (laughs) yeah absolutely yeah absolutely yeah 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 Yeah. and maybe that's why she's so uh, why why she's so drawn to Bob is that you know he's on the other side of where her husband is currently at you You know and he's paying her some yeah seeing her suddenly you're wondering if Bob and his wife of 25 years have had those conversations. Honey, can you not say that? That's Steven Spielberg. You know, yeah, yeah, those yeah. kind of conversations. Well, he does say, you know, at first we had, we, you know, had nothing but fun. Nothing but fun. fun. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's jump to this one before, I'm jumping all over the place, mm-hmm. but uh, Charlotte struggles to make sense of her place in the world and feels lost because of it. Bob knows his place in the world and it means nothing to him. Which is the worst place to be in? Fuck. Uh, it's a tough one, isn't it? This, I, the second. The second is worse. Yes. Because it's the death of potential. <sighs> nice one, Pear. <laughs> Absolutely. It is. But it doesn't have to be. No, like, it doesn't have to be. Because he's, he's, he's actively making a choice. And I reckon six months ago, if you had spoken to me, I would have said, yeah, well, you know, once it's done, it's done. You know, yeah, but yeah, it's... Yeah. But he, he could make some choices like... Go and do the fucking play that's going to pay you totally. five thousand totally. dollars rather than the advert that you don't want to do that's going to pay you two million and, and act like a fucking victim because of it. Uh, no, 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 totally. The poten- it's not that the potential doesn't exist. The poten- potential is always there, but uh, you have to see it. And if you're so far down into your rut that you can't see it, then that's you know it's it's almost like a form of death. Yeah, like you know uh, you are kind of <laughs> yeah you're cooked and you're finished and. Yeah. Um, that can, I mean, you know, I've been there, you've been there. So many people we know have been there and exist there. Uh, it's a it's a diabolical place to be. It's a diabolical place to be when you are not happy with your life and you are not happy with who you are and you don't see an exit strategy. It's very bad. As oh. opposed to who am I and what's my place in the world? Well, there's still you're still at the beginning of the Choose Your Own Adventure book. You've still got yeah. multiple paths you can go down. You know, it's scary. Yeah. But... There's still a dream, you know. There's still a 
this is what I could be. What will I be 10 years from now? Whereas when you are, this is who I am, you look 10 years in the future and it's like, oh, well, it's just going to be more of this. Yeah. Well, maybe that's what's great about their relationship because he can he can show her that there is still a way forward and she can remind him that there's no, you don't have to give up. Uh, totally. And I think yeah. that's probably sums, the, sums it up perfectly. Yeah. Have you ever had a moment in your career where you've on an absolute high, like mm. you've had something great happen and felt nothing but disillusionment? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> do, 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 do you have a specific answer 100%. for me? 100%. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of years ago, I'd, um, I hadn't done comedy for a while and um, Doug Stanhope's Australian tour manager contacted me and went, oh, Doug's coming back out to Sydney in X amount of months you yeah. know, and we want you to open for him. Uh, and it's going to be at the Hayden Orpheum in um, Sydney, which for anyone that doesn't know is the most exquisite. It's the best building in Sydney. It's the most exquisite 700-seat Art Deco theatre. And added to that, it was my home theatre as a child. So every significant movie I saw from the age of 5 to 20 was in that cinema. Jurassic Park, all of it, all of it. So that room is myth. It's like living myth to me. Uh, and it was like, you're going to open for him in that fucking room. Right. You know, and it was one of those moments you have in comedy where you're like, God, if I could go back and tell my, you know, 15 year old self, dude, one day you'll hold court in this room for your favorite, you know, one of your favorite people, someone who really influenced the, your outlook, you know, when you were younger, all this kind of stuff. It's a fucking profound moment. Um, and. Before the gig, before the gig, I was like dry reaching and just I can't do it. Like I'm, I want to kill myself. This is awful. What am I doing? What am I doing? Uh, walked out, and the second I walked out, a guy in the front row started heckling me. I know this because I was at this gig. Well, you were at the gig. I, I forgot you were at the gig. Yeah, yeah that's I know right. Exactly what you're talking. That's about. right. And yeah. I just fucking unleashed. Like you did. Don't you fucking ruin my dream? Uh, and of course, like 700 people at one are like, crush the gig. Stanhope walks on stage, gives me a big hug. I walk off triumphant and I'm not joking. The moment my foot left the stage, my entire body just slumped and was like, "Uh, done. Uh." (laughs) It was just like, you you can't, like, really? You can't even hold on to this for the evening? It's just over. It was just like, you know. And why do you think that happened? Um... It was a combination of stuff. I was in a pretty hypochondroidal state that week. Right. Uh, so there was, my head was kind of going. Uh, and I think I just slumped back into it. It was like, well, that's done now. That was a great moment that you can have before you die. <laughs> Whatever it was. Right. It was just that, you know, depressive kind of state. And also, I mean, similar to uh, what we talked about when we were talking about soul, just that idea of like, it doesn't change. It, you know, you don't fundamentally get a new consciousness when yes. you get some amazing, profound experience, no matter how profound it is. It doesn't diminish the fact that in that moment, I was fully alive and fully present and was having the time of my life. Yeah. But when it was over, it was over. It, it was, was definitively done. done. Uh, it's, it's funny. The, I've been lucky enough to perform at the Sydney Opera House mm. way too many times for someone whose only skill is to talk into a microphone. <laughs> but... I make a really conscious decision to be present for however long I'm on stage because it's the opera house and I should just enjoy it. And so I've made a very conscious decision. Anytime I do that, I am there. I have a really good time and try not to really think about it being anything other than that. And that's so... But so I've won some awards and... 
they are the, the first couple of times that I'd won some awards. Uh, and this is not a... <laughs> for the last time I won some awards, Captain Humblebrag here. But it was like, oh, this is really exciting. And what I realised, and it's a little bit similar to what you were saying about, oh, I'm not going to have a new level of consciousness. Mm. I didn't see a winning awards as being a, oh, everyone likes me, and now, now I'm accepted. <laughs> I thought naively, well, this will open up some doors. You know, this will open up the opportunity to create more. Yeah. And over time, I realised that just isn't true. Mm. It's not true. It, it actually is uh, nice in the moment and that's it. And so when I did the Ballad of John Tildanimus, which had all this stress leading up to it, and then I went and performed it at the Adelaide Fringe and both days went really well and then... I was in Sydney and I got phone calls on a Sunday night telling me that I'd won Best Show and everyone was really excited and I felt absolutely nothing, <laughs> like nothing, because I knew that the shows were weird. Uh, I knew that it would not uh, spill over into anyone saying, hey, what else can we do with this? Yeah, I, yeah, I knew yeah. that it was a nice acknowledgement, yeah. but in the end... It was no better than the people... Like, it wasn't... It, the acknowledgement... Not to, not to shit on it and be ungrateful, but winning that award wasn't better than the people who came to the show coming and having a chat with me afterwards yeah. about what they thought the show was about. Yep. I, got, I got way more out yep. of talking to Corey White's wife and her interpretations, and she said things to me that I didn't even realise were in the plays. Yeah, I got much more out of that than the award and the awards at home in, yeah. in Adelaide at my mum's house. And mum's like, you're going to take it home? I was like, I just don't know. It yeah, just it doesn't... doesn't really mean anything. Yeah. And once again, it's not being ungrateful. It's just, there's, there's, there's just better things to be excited by. Yeah. And yeah, the thing, often the thing that you think, again, that you, is going to complete you will be the final puzzle piece, you know, yeah. is... Um, you know, it's like a phantom. It's 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 yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's fleeting, and yeah, you know, I'd rather be in a position to be creating more interesting ideas and trying new ideas and working with interesting people yeah. than you know having. There's also like that. there's also that thing of you know how um, you know I, I've been thinking a lot lately about that idea of doing something with an eye to, for it to be leading to something else mm. and how toxic and ultimately counterproductive that actually is mm. because everything then becomes this, you know, zero-sum game of hopping on lily pads to get to the big lily pad, which mm. again goes back to that thing of it ain't going to... If you're not whole, you can yeah. get to the top and it won't matter because yeah. you'll still not be whole. Um, you know, and it's, and, and it's quite a kind of juvenile... Uh, outlook, you know, it's that whole thing of the kid that throws the tantrum because it's time to leave the party mm. instead of being happy that they were at the party. Yeah, you know, give me five more minutes at the party. <laughs> it's like, oh, <laughs> like it's it's you know, just be grateful that you had this great thing that happened. Yeah, and it was very fulfilling, and now it's done. You know, there'll be another thing. Well, I guess the lesson in all of this is just be present. Just be present. Just be present. Yeah. Enjoy it for what it is, yeah. and do not think that it's going to mean anything other than a nice little shot of adrenaline. Totally. And ironically, is, is that, that is 
that if you can truly live in that headspace, that is ultimately what leads to more things because you are, mm. you know, the most, when you're most present, you're most yourself, mm. you're most switched on, you're, you know, your performance is better. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I know in myself when it's like, that crippling anxiety of like, oh my God, if I do this thing really well, then it'll... And all of a sudden I'm, you know, I don't know how to control my face and my words are coming out all fucked up. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Interesting doing some research on this. There was a bit of criticism about this movie, specifically that the Japanese don't have any moments where we get to know Tokyo or the people without the gaze of our Western characters. And that's a really interesting and I think, Valid criticism. Yeah. Like there's, like we get the Japanese woman who comes in and she's the oh, the, the, the escort. Yeah, and it's <laughs> like it's funny because yeah. Bill Murray gets to be really funny in the moment. Yeah. But you know, we get people chasing them. We get people wanting them. To, we get the director. Like the director. That's yeah. yeah that yeah. director is really funny yeah. without really knowing what he's saying yeah, and all yeah, of yeah. that. The the talk show host. But it probably needed. You know, a couple of characters. Like, it probably... Like, maybe it would have been nice with the... You know, the guy that she... They end up doing karaoke with. Yeah, maybe friend. him walking around. We get to know a little bit about him. Maybe he's pointing out some stuff that means something to them. Yeah, or even just a, just a dialogue scene. Yeah. To kind of, you know, get to know that guy a bit. I've got a very specific question that I was very happy... Please. ...for, for you. Please. Um, Frank Miller. Mm-hmm. Who would have thought that I'd be bringing mm. up Frank Miller in uh, Lost in Translation? Frank Miller once said in the comics journal that he hated it in Superman 2 when Clark and Lois ended up in bed together because they'd already had the perfect sex scene in the first film when Superman took her flying. Yeah. That was the first time I'd thought of sex as something other than just sex. Yeah. You know, I was yeah. quite young when I read that. And to me, the perfect sex scene in this movie is the karaoke scene. Like, that is. Yeah. Like, that's. That's perfect. Yeah. What What is it about that scene that just nails every emotion? Just, it, 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 again, it's that thing you were talking about earlier about just the, um, you know, the people criticizing this movie for not having great beats. Right. Or, you know, distinct beats of story. Uh, but that scene, it's the little looks. It's these, it's the, the, again, the universality of those just little fleeting glances and there's so much longing that they have for each other. And then there's weird moments where they're kind of performing for each other. Yeah. Um, and it's clearly direct, you know, there's clearly subtext to it, but it's quite wholesome. Yes. You know, well, and again, it- with that kind of melancholy of, you know, this can't be. Um, it's a, it, But yeah, they're, they're clearly, um, I think that's the first scene where they're clearly communicating to each other that there's a... It's the scene know. where they fall in love. Yeah, they fall in love. Yeah, and yeah. the for this fleeting moment in time, you see it in her her performance, which is full of youth and the choice of song, yeah. of you know, uh, which is uh, great, yeah. like great song, um, and the way she performs it to him. And it's like, yeah, you, you know, <laughs> this is this song actually sums up who you are. And then... Here he is. It, I think it's important to remember in this scene that he's a big, big movie star. Yeah. And then he's, he still attempts to sing that Roxy Music song, even though it's well out of his range. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she, and even though he throws lines, he's, he's not nailing it. Yeah. And that's what makes it really beautiful. And she's taken by that because a lot of people, well, I'm just not doing that. 
Yeah. I'm just not doing that song. Yeah. But he's he's like, oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Takes a shot of Saki and then yeah. just gives it a crack. They 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 nail both of them nail excellent normal people singing voices. Yes, it's not awful. It's not that. Ah, yeah, but it's not great. Yeah. You know, and the breathing's all out of sync and yeah. everything. But it's like it was very very authentic. Uh, just as a little. Uh, FYI for long-term listeners of this podcast, you know how I went through my Roxy Music stage mm. during uh, lockdown. Mm. It literally came off the back of because I watched rewatched this movie at the beginning of last year right. for the first time in ages, mm. and then that scene came up, and that scene's so beautiful. Mm. And then I went and listened to that song specifically, and was like, oh yeah, what a I'd kind of forgotten about it, and mm. thought, oh yeah, this is a perfect eighties kind of pop song. And then read the article about the punk movement, and it was saying they, the punks never turned on two artists, which was David Bowie and Roxy Music. And I immediately was like, Roxy Music, like because I had that song stuck yeah. in my head, which then inspired me to go back and listen to all their music in chronological order. Yeah. And I went, Oh, that's right. They started off as this kind of weird DIY kind of punkish band, glam rock band yeah, in right. the early seventies, and this is. That's what they turn into. Yeah. But I'd forgotten all of that early Their stuff. Roots. So that's, that's, it was this scene that yeah. uh, inspired that uh, deep dive on uh, Brian Ferry. Um, <laughs> I know a lot of women who love Bill Murray and in particular this role. Right. What is it about Bob that appeals? Uh, a man of that age wearing his vulnerability as a badge of honour. Yeah. And not hiding behind false machismo or. Um, and I, back to what I was saying before, just not being a fucking dirtbag. Yeah, yeah, his you know? restraint is appealing, right? Yeah, and, but I, I mean, I, I think I, I don't even really read it as as restraint because I was watching for that as well. Like, is he really fucking, you know, yeah. wanting to pounce but holding himself back? It's not even that. There's a few. There's, I mean, and of course, it's all projection because uh, the, the, so much of his performance is just in little facial ticks and gestures, yes. but. I read a lot of the sadness in his face as it, not as some fucking horn dog that really wants to fuck but knows that he can't or shouldn't and is, you know, going bad boy, down boy. Yeah. It's the, it's the true and profound uh, reckoning with the reality of the situation. Yes. The, Re- restraint probably isn't the right word. Yeah. That's a that's a better way of Yeah, it's 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 him just kind of owning the truth of this situation. Yeah. And the, and and the genuine heartbreak that comes from that. You know, that it that it will never be. It will yeah. never be. Yeah. It, it it can it can only be this and this is great. Yeah, and yeah. And don't ruin it by trying to make it something else. I th- I think it also works that he is not Classically a handsome guy. Having said that, and I said this to Rodney last night while we were watching it, I was like, I have never seen Bill Murray as a handsome man. He's so fucking handsome in this movie. Well, but yes, but he's not. But not classically handsome. Yeah. But there's something about, and I think it's because, I don't know, it's such an unusual performance, especially at this stage of his career for him. But I'd never realised how tall he is. Mm. Uh, and I just think... Yeah, you're right. He's it, it works because he's not classically handsome. I think if it was like a John Hamm or something, there could be like a you know an edge to it that oh, maybe yeah. um, wouldn't work for this story. But um, he's handsome in how unhandsome he is in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, funnily enough, uh, people always rave about uh, Bill Murray, but um, I think 
I think people do, when I speak to them, kind of overlook Johansson and isn't a part of the movie the issues that Charlotte feel as a young woman. You know, so on the one hand, she's appreciated by her... She's underappreciated by her young husband, but she's also seen by a much older man for who she is and this allows her a momentary escape from her life. In a way, I actually think her story is the more interesting one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that... um. Did did that ever happen to you as a young person where someone older kind of um, made you see yourself in a way that perhaps you wouldn't have had they not come along with their life experience and wisdom and told you you were a more complex person than you thought you were? Yeah, I don't think so. Mm. I don't think so. Uh Uh, Good question. I don't think I've... No, I don't think I've ever had that. Right. I'll have to think about that. Um, I think I maybe had it with... No. (laughs) No. (laughs) I feel like if there was a significant one, it wouldn't even be a thought. You'd just know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No. No, I don't really feel Mm. like I've been lucky enough to have that. Yeah, right. Yeah. You? Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's why you asked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly her journey. No, no, no. When I was um when I was twenty, I had a um a, a love affair with someone who was seventeen years older than me. Right. Uh and it was profound. It was profound f- for me in the sense that someone who I uh deeply respected and thought was and, and you know, is very worldly and everything was kind of um you know, telling me that I was much more valid than I knew I was at that time. Yeah. Uh, and I wonder where I would be had that not happened. Right. Because I had a very, very, very low opinion of myself. And, right. you know, you never shake that. There's yeah. A, there's residuals of that that go all the way through. Um, but, yeah, it's, um, you know, I think if it's, if, if it's safe and it's ethical and everything, it's... Um, it's a, it's, it's a profound thing to have someone that kind of is a bit wiser. Going, right. Hey, you're good. You're all right. No, I don't think I've ever experienced that in <laughs> any way. You, but you have through mentors and stuff, not through a, maybe not through a romantic relationship, but uh, you've definitely had people in your life that are older and wiser and more experienced than you. Yes. You know, telling you that you're great. Well, that, well that's where I'm a little bit confused on, like, I've had... You know, I've had someone like Richard Feidler yeah. uh, be very positive towards me about uh, how to do things. Um, that would probably... That, that was actually the person I was going to bring up. And yeah. that would, outside of family, be the only person that I can actually think of. I think everyone else has been ultimately really disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> I think some of the people I've looked up to have just been a bit, oh, well, yeah. that didn't quite work out. Yeah. I, um, have you ever had a an experience like only a few more questions by the mm-hmm. way? But have you ever had uh, an experience like uh, Bob and Charlotte have, where you have a, a brief moment with someone somewhere that has a beautiful kind of resonance? Yeah, of course. Yeah, do you, you want to elaborate on that? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Like, well. What where there like was a, like a where there was an unspoken kind of maybe longing for each other that and it never and never occurred. Yeah, well, I'll give you my example. I feel like the, the I once uh, caught 
a train a few years ago. I caught a train from Paris to London, mm. and there had been something happened on the tracks, probably something awful, and mm. uh, the trains were all backed up and blah blah blah. And because I was by myself, someone said to me, uh, "Can we can get you on the next train if you can go now?" I said, "No worries." Got onto the train. The train is packed. Go to my seat, and there's a girl sitting there with papers on the on her fold out tray, my fold out tray on the seat. Yeah. And um was like, uh, sorry, that's my seat and she was not impressed. So she packed up all of her stuff and I sat there. And then we just sat there for ages while the train still did not move. Yeah, and yeah. it was a little bit just a bit tense. Yeah. And then there was suddenly an announcement saying that we were going to be sitting there for another hour. <laughs> and I just thought, fuck this. And I turned around to her and, and I said, hey, I'm going to go and get a wine. Do you want a wine? <laughs> and she looked at me and she said, yeah, I do. <laughs> so I went and bought some wine and it was this French girl called Celine who was a pilot who was going to London, who was then going to go up to Edinburgh and she was going to uh, go for a job. Yeah. And we ended up, to make a long story short, we ended up hanging out for the whole trip obviously we kept drinking she t- we talked about all sorts of different things and she'd just broken up with some guy who and i heard all about that and that was sounded like it was kind of awful and then when uh she went off at one point uh i the uh, notebook that she was writing in i just opened it up at a random place and wrote i think you're beautiful closed it up have never t- didn't tell her yeah got to the other end Walked her to the taxi rank, gave her a hug, goodbye, oh, and that was that's oh, that's the end of that. And yeah. I feel like um, that was perfect. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't need to be anymore. No, but do you sometimes long for it and wish that, it, or long for that feeling? Like you know, like the idea of it is, yeah. oh my god, imagine if she found it, and then she found me, and then suddenly I'm married to this beautiful French blonde, blue-eyed pilot and she's like going, oh, I'm married to this Australian comedian. How great would that be? That's not going to happen. Yeah. It was a moment. Yeah. And it was a, it was a bubble in time yeah. that was experienced and why ruin it with the reality of the world? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why those middle-aged women in Melbourne didn't get what I was saying. <laughs> No, I, I completely yes, and I and I've had look. I, I won't go into my ones, but yes, very similar ones where it's yeah. like you know, um, it feels like you know we're just on the you know the shimmering edge of yeah. you know maybe something could happen or but it is just that you know which is why the final scene of this movie is um, I busted up crying because it it felt very you know that cathartic yeah well yeah. it's true true yeah yeah. I also think the the best relationship. I think I've told you about this before. The best relationship I've ever had was when I went with my mate to see the lobster at uh, Dendi yeah. in Newtown, yeah. and throughout the film, I just every fifteen minutes you'd see another couple leave, and <laughs> I was loving it. And then the movie ended, and my mate said I have to go to the toilet, and he ran off, and I was just having a moment of sitting there, and then I realised five seats away were a couple of women and. One of the girls obviously was like my mate and had to go to the toilet. And two people stood up in front and they just were hating the film and were saying, oh, I wish we'd followed those other people out, blah, blah, blah. And then I made eye contact with that girl and we both looked at each other and smiled and laughed and we 
quite clearly were thinking the same thing. Yeah. And then uh, when we were leaving, I was telling my mate, and he said, oh, why don't you go back and talk to us? I said, why ruin it? It was yeah. perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, a few more quick questions. Uh, I reckon Anna Faris's performance is really underrated in yeah, this movie. Yeah, <laughs> she yeah. is... Yeah. So good. Yeah, especially a karaoke song that she does. It's <laughs> oh, awful. Like it's the opposite of the karaoke, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. And, Performative and awful. And all that talk about, is that where, you know, there was a little time where if you gave someone a comment that was a little bit insulting, people would say thank you as yeah. if it was a compliment. <laughs> and it's like when he, she says, oh, people think I'm anorexic. And he says, I thought you were anorexic. Oh, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> it's such a funny moment. I'm not anorexic, but my father was anorexic. It's like, yeah. what are you? I like, and the Johansson, the look on her face. And when that guy's talking about stuff and says, you know what I mean? And she's like, nah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so good. So good. Uh, so many shots in the movie that look like works of art. Is there a shot that stands out for you? Uh, there's a great shot of um, her in her hotel room kind of almost in the fetal position but seated and yeah. there's a perfect reflection yeah she's you know pensively staring out the window that oh. one really stuck in my head yeah amazing and of course it like as you said before the the shot in the karaoke bar when her head's on his shoulder there's and just the look on his face like there's it's not just the composition of it it's the um the look on his face is very um unusual yeah it's hard to place yeah yeah like he's slightly uncomfortable but he but also, also knows, very, you know, leaning into it. It's it's very nice. Yeah, yeah. Very to, human. To, to flinch would have been insulting. Yeah, yeah. How do you feel about the kiss at the very end? Uh, I thought it was. I I thought it was lovely. Yeah, because it was it, it 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 to me it didn't read as a passionate. It wasn't. It, it, there was a lot of passion in it. Yes. but it was the passion of goodbye. Yes, it was. This is this is the one time that we'll do this. Yeah. And, you know, um, I actually thought the, the kisses in the elevator were more beautiful. Oh, yeah. Where they were kind of like weirdly leaning into each other. Yeah. But, you know, not going there and everything, uh, you know. Um, again, I, I, I'm a guy, so I can't speak for how a woman would perceive it, but I didn't see it as a, a anything gross. No. It was, it was very kind of like uh, this, let's snatch this moment that we're both really wanted to have and it's done now. Yeah. Have you ever wondered what is said at the end? I don't think it matters. I think it's whatever think you it need it to be. Yeah, I don't. My yeah. my friend Rodney turned to me and he goes, he said, "Let's meet in Florida and we'll kill your husband." <laughs> like I don't think he said that, <laughs> Rodney. That's a imagine. Imagine if um, imagine if that was the sequel, lost in translation too. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think uh, I think I, I know that there's a lot of it's like you know the spinning top at the end of Inception. People yeah. get hung up on this shit, and it's yeah. like, well, I don't. The beauty of the if it mattered what he said, if it really mattered what he said, we'd hear what he said. It's the beauty of it is that it's he's saying whatever you need him to say. If you need him to say, let's meet in LA and continue this forever, great. That's what he says. If you need him to say. We yeah. had a great moment together and goodbye forever. That you know, it's it's the whole movie's dreamlike. Yeah, and so the emotion of the of that scene is more important than the yeah. minutia. They have revealed what he said. Well, we'll but we'll, I don't we'll, even. We'll get to that yeah. right in the squid yeah. bits. Yeah. But the um, yeah, I I don't even really think about it. No. Like when I watch it, I just it's like. 
those characters deserve this moment of privacy because I've already seen all <laughs> yes, their private moments. That's a very beautiful way to put it. Yeah. They deserve that. They yeah. deserve us not fucking... Yeah, we've know, already like, been watching them yeah. uh, deal with this. And also their reaction to... Uh, what, what, what is said is less important than their reactions yeah. after it's said. The passion of that kiss and the fact that when he's backing away and it's the first genuine smile that he's yeah. had the entire movie. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a real smile of release and freedom yeah it seems like he's he's free she's free yeah even though there's all this heartbreak involved and but it, it's the acceptance it's they're no longer fighting against the impossibility of this situation they fully accepted it was what it was it is what it is and yeah we go our separate ways yeah it's the stroke of genius in the in the movie to <laughs> finish on that and uh, finally if you were in a similar situation where you were the Bob and you were talking to Charlotte, mm. what advice would you give to her? Um, probably what I imagine that he does say to her at the end where it's like, you know, you're better than you know. Yeah. And, I, you think, know. I think I'd tell her to uh, don't let anyone tell you who you are. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. similar, similar lines. Yeah. Uh, some squid bits for you. There was heaps of stuff, so I've tried to keep this really like I just gave up on a lot of stuff because it was just so much. Uh, Bill Murray has said it is his favourite movie that he's made, mm-hmm. which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, Sophia Coppola wrote the lead role specifically for Murray and said that if he turned her down, she wouldn't have made the film. Wow. Uh, imagine if it was made with Gary Busey. I don't know why. <laughs> it just popped into my head. It's probably because I'm doing the leftovers. Uh, Coppola wasn't certain if Murray was going to show up for the film since he works without management. Murray only gave her a verbal agreement while production was being set up in Tokyo. <laughs> Coppola began to worry when there was no sign of Murray, but Wes Anderson reassured her that Murray was a man of his word. He subsequently arrived one week before filming began. Uh, he replaced his talent agency in 99 with an automated voice mailbox that can only be reached by an 800 number that he gives out sparingly. <laughs> Coppola obtained the number through Wes Anderson, reportedly left hundreds of messages before he called her back to discuss her offer. The film was made in 27 days. Johansson was 17 when she made the film. Whoa. Yeah, amazing. Like, I thought is... she, Whoa, I thought she was 19. Okay, that's yeah, crazy. That's an incredible performance. Yeah. Um. Interestingly, Bob and Charlotte never introduce themselves. Right. They yeah. just start hanging out. Yeah. I like that she knows who he is without having to state that she knows who he is. Yeah. Well, she's the difference between the, the dudes. Yeah. It's just inherent in yeah. talking to him. Yeah. Uh, the opening shot of Johansson is influenced by a painting by John Kassir. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Called Jutta or Yuta. He is famous for photographing women in their lingerie. Good work, John. Like, if you want to nail a career. Uh, Johansson was reportedly nervous about appearing in her underpants, so Coppola did the first take herself while wearing the same underpants. Oh, buddy. That's that's very sweet, isn't it? (laughs) Camaraderie. Yeah, sometimes you just read things and you go, oh, God, I really like you. Uh, The script wasn't written in a traditional way, but more with broad scene descriptions that allowed for input by the actors. Scenes were heavily improvised, including Murray's lines in the photo shoot and his conversation with Johansson about his massage. (laughs) All those photos in a 
Roger Moore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm a Sean Connery guy. Roger Moore. Well, anyway, uh, the budget for the movie was four million and ended up making nearly 120 million worldwide. Sophia's father, Francis Ford Coppola, attempted to talk her into shooting the movie in high definition video because he said it was the future. But Sophia chose film because it feels more romantic. Thank Good God. choice. Joy. Good choice. High David Francis. No. What were you thinking? No, Bill Murray would have looked too old, oh, and she would have looked Lord. way too young. Come on. God. That would have made me feel weird. Sophia was the first woman to be Oscar nominated for writing, directing and producing a film. She won for Best Original Screenplay. She's only one of five women to be nominated for Best Director with Catherine Bigelow, the only winner for The Hurt Locker. Mm. Nice one, Hollywood. Mm. Um, Lost in Translation was up against Peter Weir's Master and Commander, Seabiscuit, The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King and Mystic River. Uh, I haven't seen Master and Commander and I love Peter Weir. Uh, so... I think Sea Biscuit is a very sweet film. Uh, I haven't seen Mystic River in a long time, but I don't really have any urge to see it again, and I have no urge to ever watch the Lord of the Rings movies. That's where you and I differ, my friend. Yeah. I love those movies so right. fucking much. I, and, that, and it had to be Return of the King, right? Yeah. It had to win. Yeah. Yeah, because it was the third one. I Like, I appreciate them, mm. uh, and I'm glad that I saw them. But when The Hobbit came out, I looked and went, you know what, I'm good. No, The Hobbit the Hobbit movies are terrible. So you've only seen The Lord of the Rings once? Yeah. Dude, they are like masterpieces. Oh, yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not shitting on them as a work of art. Yeah. I'm just not really... I'm not really a sword and sorcery. No, neither am I at all. That's why, that's why I'm so surprised that I love them as much as I do because I'm mm. not into that stuff at all. Mm. But as a technical feat, those films are unfucking paralleled Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Just yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, um, yeah. oh, well, I, I like being talked Ooh. into re-watching something. We could do it, brother. We could do we it. We could do it. The whole trilogy in a day. Yeah, you know, we could do it. <laughs> I've done it. You know, I've done it. You know what we I've could I've done the full 12 hours in you know, one go. Well, maybe... Uh, Maybe what we should do is, uh, I, like, I think you can hire, like, like cinemas are desperate. The, the Orpheum does it. Yeah. yeah. Or what well, we could do Palace Cinema and hire out the room and get people to come along and then do a live podcast afterwards. Because I'm sure that everyone who is listening to this wants to spend 15 hours with us. I tell you what, man, after the 12 hours, the cinema stunk and everyone was really keen to get out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, maybe, maybe we'll do the podcast somewhere else. Um, we'll do the podcast walking, everyone following us. <laughs> Keep up, everybody. Recreate Frodo's journey. (laughs) Uh, Coppola wrote a lot of the film based on her life. The character of John was loosely based on her then-husband, Spike Jones, and the rumour was that Anna Faris' character was based on Cameron Diaz. Jones worked with Diaz on being John Malkovich. Coppola has denied that Diaz was uh, the inspiration in in interviews, in a few interviews, so she's officially come out and said that. Um, But I would like to think that's true for some reason. I don't dislike Cameron Diaz, but anyway, I love that performance. It made me think, someone give Farris something awesome Mm. because she's great. A lot of the filming was done in secret because they were unable to secure permission to shoot in certain places and the crew faced the threat of arrest while filming in particular in the subway of Tokyo at Shibayu Crossing. Yeah. Uh, Coppola saw the jazz singer Catherine Lambert performing in Tokyo in 2001 and had her producer track Catherine down for the role. Catherine Lambert is from Adelaide, 
Wow. She's an Adelaide performer. I think she once gave me an average review in the Sunday Mail. Well, who's winning now, Catherine? <laughs> you, you're in Lost in Translation. Uh, FYI, on Lambert's uh, homepage, and I had to do a little bit of scrolling to, uh, to I had to do a little bit of searching for her because I got all these different pages for her. But what appears to be her main page, I had to scroll down three pages before she mentioned she was in Lost in Translation. And Catherine, I know you're a big fan of this podcast. Open with that. Yeah, that's... Uh, like, put yeah. it right at the top. I know you're a jazz singer. I know you're accomplished and you have all of these skills as seen in Lost, Lost in, in Translation. Translation. 100%. That should yeah. be in the heading. That should be bigger than your name. Like, <laughs> come on, Catherine. I also found a letter she sent to Malcolm Turnbull to let people vape without prejudice. I don't know what to make of that. Vape? Yeah. <laughs> It's such a weird thing to find. Yeah. I'm like, what's this? And it was one of those things when you open it, it just downloads immediately. I was like, oh, and then I opened it up and it was a letter. To whom it may concern, this is why I vape. And I'm like, this has made me feel weird about life. No wonder Charlotte was depressed. Uh, when Charlotte is riding the subway, she looks at a man reading an, uh, an anime comic uh, that is Ghost in the Shell, mm. which Gay Hansen would go on to star in the film adaptation in 2017 to much consternation, actually. Much consternation. Yeah. Uh, in real life, Sean Connery did adverts for Suntory Whiskey, even though the director tells Bob to channel Roger Moore. <laughs> Fuck, you know. Like, this is what I mean about how... Because his, his wit is acerbic, that's yeah. what I mean. Like, the character of Bob, and I wonder if this is Bill Murray. Yeah. If you're on his right side, I reckon he's probably great. Yeah. And if you're not, yeah. he's probably awful. I... I relate to that. <laughs> you're, you're projecting. You're always delightful. Oh, uh, yeah, it's because we get on. <laughs> yeah, well, I've only seen you not get along with people I don't like, so I think it's fine. Uh, Coppola's father, Francis, also made a Suntory commercial with Akira Kurosawa in the 70s. Good Lord. So that's probably where the inspiration yeah. comes from. The minivan that passes with uniformed women waving and shouting over a PA system is a form of advertising used by political candidates yeah. and the candidate is running alongside the van. I want to introduce that to Australia. <laughs> Scotty Morrison, you fat bastard. <laughs> Get fit, buddy. Run alongside the van. Uh, here you go. The kiss at the end wasn't in the script. I heard that, yeah. Yeah, it was a moment uh, of ad-libbing, which I think is what makes it great. Yeah, it does seem very spontaneous. Yes. Yeah. The scene in the hospital where the old man attempts to ask Bob how long he's been in Japan and the improvised exchange was so awkward, the two women sitting behind are genuinely laughing. So that's real. Yeah, yeah I was yeah. wondering that. So that's they're great. sitting there and that, the whole moment is so off yeah, the charts. Right. They are losing it. And what, what a perfect scene. Yeah, it's beautiful. And when he starts doing the little dance and the old man bursts out laughing. Very, very beautiful moment. So good. Yeah. And there have been attempts at enhancing the audio so you can hear what Bob says to Charlotte. A lot of these, even these enhancements seem to disagree on what he says, but I didn't bother to read any of it because whatever people suggest, it won't be as good as what it feels like in my heart. I agree. Next up, Marie Antoinette. Have you seen that? I have not. I haven't seen that one either. No, neither have I. It's, uh, I'm very excited about that. Um, I... Uh, Thank you for coming doing this podcast. I've really enjoyed this and uh, I'm now going to turn off and whisper something to you that everyone will have to guess what I was saying to you. <laughs> Thank you to Ben and Roe for being a part of the fun on today's podcast. I'm looking forward to them both coming back to Big Squid for future episodes. Rove, of course, will be back next week and... 
we will get Ben in as soon as we can uh, find the time to really uh, get into this uh, next Coppola film. Oh, it's been so much fun so far. I hope you're enjoying it too. Remember, if you're in Adelaide, I'm there tomorrow for a one-off show. That is Tuesday the 23rd, 7.30pm at the Rhino Room. It's early because I'm 48. (laughs) This will be my only appearance at the Fringe this year, so if you'd like to come down, I'd love to see you. Tickets can be found at adelaidecomedy.com. And also, if you're enjoying the podcast, we're all about broadening our listenership this year, so if you can leave us a great review online or suggest us to your friends, that would be fantastic. Our private Facebook group has been on full flight with fun suggestions, interesting chats, and more debate on which aliens the Doctor has had sex with. We're a page where high art and low art live hand in hand, and I love it over there. You can also find new blogs over at my website, justinhamilton.com.au. Okay, let's finish with a quote from Bill Murray. The more relaxed you are, the better you are at everything. The better you are with your loved ones, the better you are with your enemies, the better you are at your job, the better you are with yourself. Until then. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.